Welcome to Dealcast, the weekly M&A podcast presented to you by Merger Market and SS&C Intralinks. I'm Juliana Needham. In this episode, we're looking at the IPO of Oatly and the growing trend of plant-based foods. I'm joined by Dana Fields, senior consumer reporter for Merger Market, who's been reporting on this topic from Los Angeles for the past four years. Hi, Dana. Hi, Juliana. So firstly, can we look at Oatly's IPO? How was that received by the market? Well, uh, it's been trading for a few weeks now. Uh, it was a very hyped IPO. Uh, a lot of eyes uh, as the only the second plant-based major food company uh, to enlist on the NASDAQ in this case. And uh, so far, and we'll see how it goes, it's been received very well, up roughly 20% in the first few weeks of training. And how is Oatly's IPO reflective of a wider trend of meat and dairy alternatives with them gaining popularity? And how has the pandemic affected that trend? Yeah, interesting question, because I would say when I first started reporting on the segment in 2017 um, from our Los Angeles hub, uh, not a lot of eyes around this segment, uh, tiny but emerging space. Um, And boy, has things changed since the onset of the pandemic. Uh, I think it's growing at record pace. Um, It's certainly a lot of larger strategics in the traditional protein space have taken note of this nascent trend. Uh, And amongst consumers as well, the adoption rate has certainly picked up. And there's various reasons for that, um, that that was brought on by by the pandemic. And uh, I think that everyone's expecting it only to grow and grow faster. And which generation? Is it the younger generation that's driving this trend? Absolutely. We're seeing the younger consumers, Generation Z, maybe even those millennials, being on the forefront of this trend and really driving those dollars that's being spent on plant-based meat alternatives and dairy alternatives. Uh, Gen Z already makes up 40% of the global consumer base, and we're seeing these younger types of consumers really be decisive about where they spend their money, which brands they choose to support. And the brands that actually are out front with these environmentally friendly and sustainable missions are the brands that resonate with this generation the most. And can you just go into a bit more detail about how they were expedited by the pandemic? Absolutely. Well, first, a few reasons. First and foremost, of course, during the pandemic of 2020, the first thing we saw was a food shortage. So people, shoppers in the grocery stores, the shelves not as full or sometimes empty, not used to seeing uh, that kind of a site. So, uh, of course, we got the consumer panic set in. We saw a lot of that with the mass uh, buying and maybe even hoarding of paper goods and food products. Well, when you're sold out of meat products or any product, you're going to buy what's available and what's on the shelf. And that's exactly what we saw a lot of consumers picking up those plant-based products for lack of other options, maybe then enjoying those products, um, being more uh, aware of those brands, and maybe even stepping away from the product uh, from the pandemic uh, loyal to those brands. So they actually took those those new taste preferences um, with them. Um, Other things during the pandemic that we saw, of course, was large meat producing companies 
being uh, those those factories with workers standing side by side with each other. Of course, we saw rapid spread of the disease. That was a dangerous scenario. They ended up shutting those plants down for safety concerns. That also fed to a shortage on the meat supply, um, I think, which also had consumers turning toward plant-based alternatives. Um, so those were just a few uh, ways that the pandemic uh, accelerated um, the plant-based food movement. I think that environmental concerns also, I could throw that in there. Um, and maybe ESG, you know, social governance concerns. You know, Tyson had a, a bit of a, of a PR crisis with some maybe not so great ways that they're were handling the pandemic with their workers. I won't get too specific on that, but certainly that that wasn't a great look for them during the pandemic. And that also might have had consumers looking at maybe more socially responsible food products to eat. And of course, um, with the pandemic, the environmental concerns, you know, what are we doing to our earth and our environment and how maybe we can make some better choices. I think that really came to light um, during and after the pandemic, uh, along with ESG in- investing as a whole. Great. Thank you. And how closely will Oatly's IPO have been watched? Will it pave the way for other companies offering plant alternatives to, to meat and dairy or the owners of those companies to look at listing? Great question. Um, and I think that's something on everyone's mind. Are we going to be seeing more plant-based companies um, looking to the public markets or going IPO? So, so far we have Beyond Meat, which uh, went public in May 2019. And Oatly, of course, a few weeks ago. Uh, I think everyone's looking at Impossible Foods and seeing if maybe a, a SPAC um, merger there would be in the cards for them or direct listing or... Um, if they'd like to um, go public through an IPO as well. Uh, so those are the big players in the game. Um, I think that definitely the public markets are lucrative and definitely conducive to this kind of uh, investing, is, like we said, um, environmental, social governance uh, type of investing, and also just um, young, exciting space, lots of growth. And it, these are also very cons- hyped up consumer face facing brands. So um, people recognize the names, the more they eat them. So, you know, maybe um, that fuels their, uh, piques their investment interest as well. I think that a lot of our sources are, are more interested to talk about the M&A side rather than more public listings. Um, already we've seen, and I think this is a very interesting deal, JBS come out and acquire Vivera, uh, the third largest plant-based company in Europe. Uh, they do really exciting products like difficult products like plant-based chicken schnitzel or plant-based beef shawarma. These are a lot more complicated products than just your typical ground beef uh, like Beyond Meat and Impossible Food are known for. But the the product spread when it comes to meat and meat products goes well beyond a hamburger. And you've got all kinds of you know, steaks, Shirley hot dogs, Sharma is a good one, shredded pulled pork, um, just did an uh, interview with a company that specializes in plant-based pulled pork. So all of these products are going to want, uh, are going to garner interest for a plant-based alternative. Um, and will we see uh, Beyond Meat and Impossible Foods uh, start to make acquisitions in, in those in those more creative kind of startup spaces um, that are specializing in those more value added uh, or more difficult uh, plant-based products? And will we see the the large traditional protein providers like like ConAgra, like 
like Cargill, like like Tyson, you certainly JBS got in there. And I think what's interesting about Tyson is it at once was a significant investor in Beyond Meat. Um, and of course, um, Beyond Meat uh, ended up going public and Tyson itself launched its own plant-based product line called Raisin Roots. Um, and just on that note, I'm interested in, in, in geography because Oatly is obviously a Swedish company that's listed in the US. Is that a natural home for these listings? Is it a, a huge growth sector in the US? It's certainly a, a big growth sector here in Europe. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. I'm from, from our sources and from the data, it looks like the UK and Europe, they're doing a great job of adopting this new food trend fast. And interestingly enough, uh, a lot of these plant-based and ECG, ESG-friendly companies, a lot of these plant-based meat companies and plant-based dairy companies are coming out of the Netherlands area and Sweden and uh, the European Union. And I think that goes to show uh, the innovation in that region, as well as the consumer adoption. And I do think it's uh, bleeding over into the United States, maybe not quite as fast as uh, the EU, but certainly um, fast enough um, to garner uh, hype like we've seen with Miami and Oatly and hype, you know, a lot of articles and podcasts and and, and investors and reporters covering the space. Uh, the NASDAQ was an interesting choice. So we've seen a lot of high-tech innovation as far as technology companies listing on the NASDAQ. And that's exactly what these plant-based food companies are going after. They'd like to be considered at the end of the day, a technology company, which is very interesting um, how much of that technology is patented versus proprietary versus trade secret. Um, not sure there. Um, is, is it really comparable to our Ubers, to our Teslas, to our Netflix? Uh, again, that's up for interpretation, but that, that does say one thing that these plant-based food technology companies would like to be traded at a valuation that's comparable to other technology companies on the market. And I think that does raise questions about are these valuations justified? Are these technology companies or are these food companies? Yeah. And I guess following on from that, there is a lot of hype in the sector, but how profitable are they? You mentioned a lot of the tech companies there, which aren't profitable and haven't been for a long time, despite listing already. Are, are they profitable? Can those valuations be justified? Good question. Are they profitable? Short answer is no. I mean, not only are they not profitable, they're losing quite a significant amount of money um, every quarter. I think Oatly posted a loss of around $60 million, uh, in the last quarter. Um, when will they be profitable? We don't know. Um, they're not very open uh, about when, when they'll reach profitability. But on the other hand, uh, and so in that case, as, as far as them being an unprofitable company, garnering valuations like they are in the market, I think Beyond Meat is trading at around, uh, around at least 16 times revenue. Um, it, it, is an unprofitable company justified in that valuation is up for people's interpretation. I guess you could say whatever someone's willing to buy um, a, a share at is, is, is its valuation. And I think also the flip side of that is that the long-term growth potential. I mean, this is a really new segment. Beyond only been out there for three, uh, I'm sorry, since 2019, Oatly obviously just listed. And so JBS, Tyson, ConAgra, Cargill, were they profitable? right off the bat, uh, probably not, you know, at 10, 20, 30, 
years down the line, will we start to see those profits and um, will those prices be justified? You know, that's something to think about too, that there's a long way to go in terms of growth. This is a small, small segment, um, less than $10 billion of a food industry that's worth more than $400 billion. Yeah, a small, but it looks like a very fast growing segment. And we've just spoken a bit about the hype and the valuations linked to that. How important is the celebrity factor with these companies? We had Natalie Portman and Oprah Winfrey backing Oatly and Leonardo DiCaprio as a backer of Beyond Meat. That was interesting as well. I think that uh, Leonardo DiCaprio has been in the environmental uh, game um, for a while, and I think he'd be happy to see that now it's 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 uh, catching fire for sure. Um, Natalie Portman and Oprah getting involved there right before I, Oatly's IPO, so they weren't early investors by any means. And certainly, Oatly is is a twenty year old company, um, so you know, um, so it has been flying under the radar. Again, I, I think the pandemic has has done a lot for for its growth. I think that celebrity investment helps with their consumer facing brands as far as getting hype around consumers and buyers and. Uh, getting them interested when you go into a Starbucks um, and you ask for oat milk, they use Oatly. Uh, one thing I do think was interesting is that Oatly also took on right around the time Oprah Winfrey came on board and Natalie Portman, an investment from Blackstone. And that Blackstone is a very large private equity firm that some may argue is did not do as much for their reputation in terms of consumers who are looking for a more altruistic, environmentally uh, friendly uh, brand that they can relate to. Does Blackstone speak to, to that kind of image? So that might have done in terms of consumer adoption more harm than good, but certainly on the investor side, um, that was uh, a really great anchor investor to have in on their cap table to say, hey, this is a legitimate space. Uh, we are doing legitimate things. And yes, we're a disruptor in this very large and established traditional food mechanism. Um, but we're here to lend legitimacy on the, on the investor side, again, despite the fact that we're not profitable. Great. Uh, definitely a, a sector to keep a close eye on. Dana, thanks very much. Thank you for having me. That was Dana Fields, Senior Consumer Reporter for Merger Market. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of DealCast, presented by Merger Market and SS&C Intralinks. Please rate, review and follow the podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or look out for your Merger Market news alert. For more information, check out our show notes. Join us next week for another episode. 